This episode is brought to you by Podbean. Look, if you're looking to start a podcast, Podbean is going to be your best friend. I've been using Podbean since the start of Hermit Style, and I could not imagine running the podcast without it. It distributes my podcast to every single app with a click of a button. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, anywhere you can think of. Your podcast will be there. It's super simple and gives you tons of analytics so you can truly understand your market and who listens to you so you can cater towards those people. You can get started today and get a free month by using my link, which is in the description, or just type it in. It is podbean.com slash hermitstyle. Again, that's podbean.com slash hermitstyle. My name is Fortune Teller Baba. And you're listening to the Hermit Style Podcast. Now, where's my brother? I need my 10 zenny back with 57 years interest. Welcome to the Hermit Style Podcast. Talking all about the Dragon Ball Supercard game. From competitive play to the world of collecting. With your host, Jimmy Bacon. Yo, yo, yo! What's up, everybody? Hermit Style Podcast. We are back. It is Friday, February 4th. Finally recording on a Friday again. Feels good. Feels good. Hopefully, we can keep the schedule normal. Uh, But I cannot even proceed until we celebrate. Yo, we did it. Foo is gone. Banlist dropped today. Shrouded Foo axed. Gone. Canceled. Banned. The card is no more. Oh my God. I am so happy. Yo, the best thing to wake up to this morning. I literally, I had to drive um, this morning. I had to drive my fiance to work and I literally saw that and just didn't even read any other card. I literally, my eyes just went straight to Foo. And I was like, we did it. And I just shut my phone off, started driving. <laughs> so I didn't even know what the ban list was until like an hour later. But, oh, Foo's gone. Hallelujah. Like, oh my gosh. Y'all know we have asked for this card to go for over a year now. Over a year we've been asking for this card to go. And by we, I mean, Mike was the one who initially said it and then afterwards when he explained it to me i was like yeah you're right we got to get this gone and that was like maybe in the first episode of the podcast second episode so yeah we've been asking this for a long time it's finally happened it's gone out of the format it was such a big problem card held so many decks back the card was not interactive it was not fun i do not want to play a game to tap six energy to win it's just silly the card was stupid if you disagree I don't care. You were wrong. (laughs) This is a great day. Great day. Uh, But we will get into the ban list discussion when I get into news. Um, And yeah, just hop in. I'm sorry I didn't put an episode out last week. We had the Hermit Style Winter League Finals. And honestly, that was uh, a little more than I thought it would be. Uh, A little bit more time consuming. So I only have but so much time. So unfortunately, my time that I would usually spend preparing and recording the podcast all went into the tournament. Uh, But it was a big success, so it was worth it, and I'm definitely hoping to do one again soon. So uh, we'll get into that soon as well. And then, man, other than that, 
not a whole lot going on. I uh, I made some big moves myself. I decided that it was time to pick up the last of the SIGs that I was missing from when I had sold my collection off. So I made some big moves, some big trades, sold off some of my other cards I don't want as much and was able to pick up the last of my SIGs. So my complete set is back again. I'm super, super stoked. Uh, I'm going to make a big display and they're just going to be showcased. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do it yet, um, but I'm going to, it's going to be dope. I'm going to make a shadow box. It's going to be engraved. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm thinking I'm going to throw some uplighting inside of it on each row and there'll be like different rows of shelves that have cards on them. Um, and then I think I'm going to do individual holders for each card and each holder will be engraved with something special for that card. Uh, it'll be cool. It'll be dope. Uh, that's going to be my project over the next couple months. So we'll see if I can make that happen. And, uh, you know, if y'all like it, maybe we can, uh, maybe I can get you one too. So anyways, we've got a ton to talk about last week's episode. Yo, last week's episode was one of the most popular and will be the most popular episode that we have ever done. So thank you so much for people who have shared that and listen, download it, whatever you do. Because we have already hit over a thousand downloads on that episode, which is pretty big. Typically by now, my episodes usually about 500 to 600 by the second week and we're over a thousand. So that is freaking huge. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this will be the continuation of that. So for those of you who enjoyed the last episode, um, it was all about buying, how to effectively buy in the game and hopefully save you a little bit of money and just Regardless of that, just making smarter decisions um, about how you invest into the Dragon Ball Supercard game. So I'm glad that it looks like we had great feedback and I'm really excited to move into today's episode, which is all about selling. Something I'm very passionate about because you all know I do a lot of selling in Dragon Ball. I've had thousands and thousands of transactions and I've learned a lot. So this episode, I'll be sharing a lot of the things that I've learned as a seller and uh, hopefully you all will benefit from this one too. But let's uh, let's hop into news. News from the lookout. All right, so we have to start with ban list, right? I wasn't even expecting to do this because no one knew when it was coming, but it was today. So here we go. Uh, ban list, banned cards, unrelenting assault trunks, foo shrouded in mystery, and sell perfection surpassed. So we've got the trunks that went in Gogeta Zeno that basically was just a free card to hand if you milled him. Um, also was really great at just all different kinds of things. I mean, it could push a little bit. It could put cards in the warp that you needed in warp. Um, it had a lot of different functionality. The card was extremely powerful. Uh, I don't know if it really needed to go. Honestly, I don't know if that was the card they needed to hit, but I'm, I'm, fine with this. Um, I don't think it's a big enough hit that Gogeta Zeno goes away by any means, but um, the, the hit's fine. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't expecting this. Let's say that. Uh, moving on. Foo Shrouded and Mystery. Whew. Bandai. I don't know what got this in your head to finally do this, but thank you. Like I said, we've been asking for this forever. Um, I'm glad that you have finally seen why this card is an issue for the game. Uh, this game and something that Bandai says on many of the bands is they hit cards that limit interactivity, right? If you can't interact with the card, Bandai typically doesn't want it in the game. 
and foo is the card that almost nothing can interact with. There's only two colors that even have answers for it. And it's just the dumbest card I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that is my very analytical breakdown of why Foo's bad. Uh, but no, I don't need to go on and on about this, but we can definitely chalk this up to a W. It brings in more format. It brings in more decks to the format and um, to any format. You know, maybe maybe this one will. We'll get into how we feel about the next format soon, but regardless, Foo is something you have to think about in every format because we're playing a game now where there are many decks that can make it to turn six. So Foo being gone is great. And even if this format is faster, it's still anytime we're in a format we get to six, Foo is a problem card and it just limits so many decks that can be played because they just auto lose to Foo. They just auto lose to Foo. And that's not a good time. And it's not a way to help the game in any way, shape, or form. So kudos to Bandai. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This was a great hit. And let's see. Cell Perfection Surpassed. So another Surge Leader is Axed. Um, I think everyone knew this would get hit in some capacity. I'm going to be honest with everybody. I think that eventually this card needed to go. If you had asked me this question before the new set reveals, I'd say it needs to go now. Once we saw the new set, I think this card was fine. I think this deck became much more fair and wasn't as oppressive. Um, and I really don't think that it needed to be hit now. That being said, I think they just wanted to do away with it. I think they're moving away from leaders that have that are just that powerful. And I think they want to move away from the surge leaders from what we've seen so far in the past of the decisions that they've made. So, you know, it is what it is. I think it's just, I wouldn't count on, you know, hyper competitive, powerful surge leaders coming back anytime soon. I think they're trying to do away with that. I think they realize how powerful that mechanic is and just said, you know what, we, we shouldn't be doing this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, especially with the new format, best of one pre-side, I think there were a lot of answers to sell. Um, you know, whether it would have remained a top tier deck, I don't know. It's still powerful. Like the deck's still insanely strong and insanely consistent, right? So even if you're, even if your opponent is able to side in answers, there's still a lot of damage that this deck can do, but I think it was really getting balanced out with this new set. So honestly, I don't think it needed to go. But I think eventually it would have gone no matter what. And they just decided the time was now. So that is what it is. Uh, moving on to the limits. So we see Power of a Super Saiyan, which is a card that many, many people complained about. Uh, we see that card got limited. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I don't I don't think this hits yellow. If they wanted to like really neuter yellow, uh, I don't think they did a good job with this because... Yellow is still going to be great. Yellow is still going to be amazing. I assume they're just counting on the red U7 Goku deck to balance out yellow because that deck just beats yellow decks. Um, so that takes yellow down a notch for the next format. Um, but yellow decks are not going anywhere. Zamasu is great. The new Vegeta Trunks deck is great. They'll be in the format to some capacity. And um, yeah, I, I think this, this limit is just, to me, it's just whatever. Like, it's it allows yellow decks now to just play other good cards <laughs> like they can just play other good cards i really don't think this is that big of a hit to yellow i think that the hype behind banning power of a super saiyan got a little too much i don't 
think there is that much merit to it. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how this shapes out. My personal opinion is yellow's fine. Once we talk about the next card, though, Icarus is definitely dead. <laughs> that card, that deck is done. Um, you're gonna have to move on to one of the new leaders because it got an errata. And the errata says activate main once per turn. Now you must tap one yellow. So it costs one yellow energy to draw one card, then play up to one yellow skillless battle card with energy cost of one from your drop area. And then they also add it if it's your turn to the activate battle. So now activate battle still once per turn. If it's your turn, when this card is in a battle, if it's your turn and there is a monster card in your combo area, draw one card. Yeah, deck's dead. <laughs> like that they they completely killed the deck off. They might as well. I'm telling why do they not just ban it? Like, why do they not just ban these leaders? Just ban the leader. Like, why is Surge Piccolo still a leader? Just ban it. I don't want to have to follow these stupid erratas when they're just going to do this much damage to the card. If you wanted a leader to do those effects, just print a new one in set 17. That's all you had to do. You know what? If there's only going to be two yellow leaders, guess what? Now there's three. Here's your new Sun Gohan Icarus. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just silly to me. But either way, you're probably not going to see it because what you will see now is, again, the new Zamasu, the new Vegeta Trunks, and they're going to play very similarly to the Icarus of old. All right, next errata. Sun Goku True Fighting Spirit now has Unique added to its keywords. Uh, I think this is good. I, I, was, I thought they were just going to ban this card. This was one of the cards I thought would get banned. Now it has Unique. I don't think this is a big enough hit that it just kills Gogeta Zeno between this and Trunks. But I think Gogeta Zeno definitely got, it took a notch down. But there's still very competitive lists, I think, that you can play. Uh, and I think the deck is still very strong. Um, I'm honestly fine with this. And one thing I think that's really cool is this promotes playing for blue decks, the new Wrath of the Gods card. Um, in testing, basically, before, if you're playing blue... Your opponent's only ever going to board one Goku because they know you're probably playing Sun Gohan Piccolo, which can remove two. So your opponent will play one at a time and make you go one for one with them. I will waste my one Gohan Piccolo for your one Goku, and then next turn they'll probably play another, and then I have to see if I have the second Gohan Piccolo, and that's how they generate a value. Well, now they're only allowed to play one, and now Blue also has the Wrath of the Gods card that can remove it during the battle step. Um, and you're still going one for one. I think this is really cool because you were able to punish your opponent for playing new cards by boarding multiple Sun Gokus again because they know most people have now switched from Gohan Piccolo to the new Wrath of the Gods card. So now knowing that, oh, my opponent can only remove one at a time, I'm just going to swarm the board with them. Bandai says, no, you can't. This still has unique. So I think this is actually a good call. If the card was banned, I would not have complained uh, but yeah, I think overall this is, uh, that's, that's perfectly fine. All right, next. Black Smoke Dragon Offering of Destruction has an errata, which added your leader card is Demon Realm Race to the minus one activate main. Um, so yeah, so this card gone from Gogeta Zeno, <laughs> Giancarlo and Armando can stop arguing about it. <laughs> um, They've had an ongoing argument over which is better, Smoke or Mira, in the deck. And, uh, well, now you're not playing Smoke. So that, <laughs> that is what it is. I All right, so personally, I side with Armando and Nick that Mira is the better unison. 
So I don't think this is as big of a hit to Gogeta Zeno. I think the issue now is you can't just side it for the yellow matchups because this card was arguably better against yellow. So Gogeta Zeno does take a hit to card advantage. It does take a hit to only be able to play one Goku, and it does take a slight hit to its matchup versus yellow. Um, so that's definitely knocking it down. Will time, you know, time will tell if that is enough to actually push it out of the top tier decks. I haven't tested anything, so I won't give my opinion yet. My thought is that it will probably still be around, but we will see. It's definitely something where I wouldn't just write it off and say, oh, Gogeta's fine or oh, Gogeta's definitely hit. I think it's just going to require testing. And how do we build the deck now with all the new cards? And now we know the ban list. Okay, so let's see. Next up. Uh, set 16 leader, Demon God Deborah Diabolical Awakening has a new errata as well. Uh, let's see. My phone just crashed, so give me a second. Do, do, do. And we are back. Okay, so the post errata text changed to send that card to its owner's warp. Um, that is now the way the card reads. And it said the current text of this card prevents it from being played as intended. So let's pull up the original. The original card said, uh, so once per turn, tap one black energy, play up to one black unison card with no specified cost and 20,000 power from your drop area and with a marker on it in rest mode. And at the end of the turn, send that card to its owner's warp. So originally that was the way it was worded. And now it is worded, send that card to its owner's warp. Uh, so yeah, they basically just fixed it, I guess. <laughs> I'm reading this on the fly, so it looks very similar to me. Uh, I don't know. Someone smarter than me, tell me what was the reasoning for that. <laughs> uh, anyways, let's see. Next, uh, Vegeta. Uh, post errata text. This Vegeta is the new one. It's the promo number 360 Vegeta leader. And the new errata is that it changed from choose up to one to choose one. So now you must choose one red or blue Saiyan card in your hand and discard it. Uh, this is probably the way it was just always intended, which is exactly what they said and what had been discussed before. If it was choose up to one, that would be pretty crazy. So I think this is fine. I'm you know, regardless of opinions on whether it should or should not have happened, it just wasn't how they wanted that card to be played. So it now is played as its true intent. And that is the entirety of the ban list. Uh, like I said, you guys know I don't like to give too many thoughts right when something happens or right when something is released. I like to put some time into it. So I will, what I think I'll try and do, I'll probably try and get someone on the podcast with me maybe next week or the week after, and we can actually have an intelligent discussion and not a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, <laughs> so let me put some time into it, let the team put some time into it, and then I'll come back with some more educated opinions. Uh, you know, at first glance, decks that just died the foo obviously get a buff. Cell Surge obviously can't be played, so you now have more sideboard space. You don't have to sideboard as much discard hate. Um, you see... Icarus get a hit, but Vegeta Trunks and Zamasu take its place. So I think yellow is still in the format. Uh, blue gets a buff, I think. And then obviously black gets a little bit of a debuff. So 
those are my first impressions. Obviously, that's all pretty obvious things. Uh, how this changes what we were testing. I mean, Red U7 is still going to be one of the premier decks of the format. I don't think that it's changing. I think uh, now that Icarus is gone, I think Vegeta Trunks will probably be the most played yellow deck at first, just because from our initial testing, it does appear it has a slightly better matchup to red than Zamasu does. So I think that's going to be the main, the main factor there as far as why is people choose one over the other. And yeah, I mean, the rest, time will tell. That Vig X deck we're testing got a little bit better, so I am happy. <laughs> I am happy. Uh, all right, let's move on from the ban list. DBS Fest. So I guess this is kind of old news now, but I haven't talked about it on the pod, so I will. Bandai listened. Thank you again. Bandai's on a roll right now. Like, kudos to Bandai. They listened to the community. They changed the format entirely. There's no more Unison Warrior only for DBS Fest. You can now use the full array of cards that you have at your disposal. And the format is now best of one with pre-side. So you can side for your matchup before the match starts. You have one minute after you see your opponent's leader to change your deck how you like from between your main board and sideboard and then play. This is great. All great changes. We don't have to main stupid cards um, like Jiren <laughs> for a best of one tournament uh, that takes up deck space and makes our decks more inconsistent. Ultimately, I think this is the best way to run best of one tournaments. Best of one's always going to have a lot of variables and a lot of RNG involved. So all we can do is do our best to try and fix that and limit it. And this does exactly that. So Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. This will definitely help bring in some more people to the tournament and has definitely created some more excitement for it. And they also announced that for our friends in Europe, uh, that includes Spain, Germany, Austria, and Norway, uh, they have opened, I think they've opened registration. I don't know if it was an announcement that's saying that they're just having tournaments there or that registration is now open, but regardless, y'all should definitely look at the Facebook page because it has all the details for your tournaments and how you register and all that good stuff. All right, next piece of news. We're now shifting gears a little. Uh, we're That's pretty much all the specific Dragon Ball Super card game news. Now we're going into Hermit-style news. Winter League Finals are finished. Uh, man, what an amazing event this was. I never expected this event to be this successful. We had 145 participants on a seven-week league. Like, come on, that is so sick. So 145 participants. We had a final tournament at the end, 40 qualified. So it was pretty tough. It was pretty tough to qualify. 23 were actually able to participate. And Numa Numa King Lee took down the whole event with, come on, Blue Baby. Let's go. What a perfect finish to the first ever Hermit Style League, a Blue Baby win. That is so, so, so dope. He'll get his prizing. He'll be on the podcast soon to talk about it. And uh, yeah, super, super sick. Congratulations. And a big, big thank you to everyone who was involved. I mean, this was, if you were not a part of this, I feel bad for you because this really was something special. Like <laughs> this is probably the most active the discord has ever been. There were nights where we would have like 40 plus people in video chats, just talking, watching, playing. It was so, 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 so cool. Um, we are definitely going to bring this back. I don't know when, and I don't know how, 
right now what's on my mind is set the next one up kind of like Yu-Gi-Oh. So we'll do like a Duelist Kingdom starship kind of deal uh, for another league, maybe this spring or this summer. But don't quote me. It's still all in the works. Uh, but yeah, this could not have been successful without Brant Nuke and Foobs in the Discord. Shout out to you. This was his idea. He put the whole thing together. And just just thank you. All the gym leaders put in countless hours to making this a fun event for you all. Our Elite Four did the same, especially poor Zach. <laughs> Zach was just getting slammed matchup after matchup, just gatekeeping, <laughs> trying to keep people from passing through the Elite Four. Um, and then we had oh, Aspira. Shout out to Aspira. He actually streamed the entire tournament uh, on Saturday. So that was incredible. That was a long time. So that was very, very helpful. And everyone really enjoyed that. And then shout out. Oh, I have to give the shout out to Cam Averno. Hopefully I said that right in the Discord. Cam went All right. He was already in Elite Four. Then he said, hey, I'll be a temporary gym leader to help people qualify for the tournament and get them their badges. And then during the tournament, he came on stream to commentate and offered a ton of extra prizing. He was offering promo cards, play mats, all kinds of stuff and like cool play mats, like regional winter play mats, stuff like that. So Cam, thank you. Up the prize pool by like way more than double what it already was for the participants. And this was just all out of his personal collection just to help the event. So Thank you, thank you, thank you to you. And again, thank you to everybody. Event was a huge success. We're definitely bringing it back. If you missed out, do not miss out on the next one. I will keep you posted on when that will happen and what the details are. Okay, and our final piece of news, just check out the Hermit Style YouTube. We dropped our second volume of an evening with Hermit Style. I know it has been a while since the first one. That's my fault. It's due to... I'm an idiot. <laughs> that, that's, that's basically all I can say. I messed up. I keep messing up the, the videos and uh, yeah. Anyways, we finally got a second one up. I'm not in it, but we have five members of team hermit style on there and they go over the best and worst of dragon ball from 2021. We got sublet, Giancarlo, Jay, Armando and Nick, and it is hysterical. They, those guys are funny. Like they were going back and forth the whole time. Their picks are hilarious. Some of the picks don't even fit the criteria. And honestly, it just makes it perfect. Like that is very, very funny. So if you have some time, it is pretty long, but if you have some time, check it out on YouTube and please subscribe, do the thumbs up thing. It actually does help us. Um, and I know you hear that from literally every single person on YouTube, but if you could show support in that way, it only takes a second and it really does help if you can go give the video some thumbs up. All right. And finally, it is time. We are getting into the best tips for selling in the Dragon Ball Super card game. Turtle School Weekly Focus. Okay, so last week, everything we talked about was buying. Um, you know, oh, by the way, I, let me start this segment off by flaming Nick. Uh, <laughs> I told Nick I was going to flame him on this podcast because one of my pet peeves. Oh, he said I have to say his last name too. So Nick Manunu. <laughs> I believe I said that right. <laughs> uh, the inside joke is I always say Nick's name wrong. So now I'm just committing to it and I just am making up last names for him. Uh, so yeah, anyways, uh, when you are buying, 
let the people know specifically how many of a card I want. One of my biggest pet peeves as a seller when I see someone on a card is they go, uh, I don't know, maybe like two or three of these. And I'm like, dog, just tell me what you want. <laughs> if I look for three and find three, are you then going to tell me two? Because then I'm going to be mad. <laughs> just tell people how many of the card you want to buy. If it is three, say, I would like to buy three copies. If it is two, say two. If it is one, say one. If you want to buy 30 copies, let them know, hey, I am looking for 30 copies of this card. Uh, anyways, that's my rant. I love you, Nick. I'm just kidding for the most part. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I would say if you are looking to buy a card, just let the people know the exact number that you want. Anyways, let's get into selling. So as far as selling sealed product, I'm not going to really get into that much because honestly, I would take a bet that maybe one to 3% of the people listening to this podcast actually regularly sell sealed. Um, if you are selling sealed, I personally don't know much about that game um, as far as aftermarket, you know, like if you bought the product at whatever retail price you bought it at, and then you're looking to flip it or sell it. But I really don't have a lot of expertise there. You can sell them on TCG player. You can sell them in the buy sell groups. Uh, just keep in mind the additional shipping charges and all that. Um, I know there's people who sit on certain products because they think they have hit the next tournament of power or the next assault of the Saiyans where the set's going to be worth a ton in the future. Uh, so, you know, that's just, that's just a gamble, really. If you wanted to take a gamble, I would say Realm of the Gods is probably the next set to most likely happen, but who knows? The set could be worth nothing. You know, we, we never know for sure. So I won't spend time talking about sealed. I'm more going to be talking about singles and selling cards on the marketplace. Okay, so let's start. Um, all right, so when you're selling singles, I guess I should start with how do you sell, right? How do you sell? So it's essentially the same as buying. You're gonna look at the same places you can sell on tcgplayer.com. It's very actually very, very easy to make a seller's account. You do not have to be a business. You can be just a hobbyist. You can make your account on there and it's very, very simple. You just have to keep in mind, do your homework on taxes and all that jazz because now everything's official. So, you know, do what you will with that advice. <laughs> just keep that in mind. Uh, maybe talk to, depending on your volume of sales that you expect, you might want to talk to your accountant or tax professional and get some advice from them. But it is very simple. It is very easy. It took me, I think, two minutes to make my seller account. And um, you open up your cards to a very wide market. The groups are great, but it's a little, you're limiting your scope. Whereas TCG player, you know, everyone that clicks on that card, you're up there. You're selling that card. So it is a good resource if you have, I would say high volume. So if you're going to be selling a lot, TCG player is pretty cool because it just makes things easier on yourself. Uh, that being said, you can also always use the buy and sell groups on Facebook, like Majin Boost Candy Shop, DBS TCG Auction Center, Zeno Black Market, Master Roshi's Black Room Deals, and all of those. Um, you can also, of course, sell in the Hermit Style Discord, which is personally my favorite place to sell. That's totally not biased, you know? <laughs> uh, but it really is a good experience. Very rarely have I ever had a bad experience selling in my Discord. <laughs> um but now everyone really does look out for each other and everyone kind of understands etiquette. So it's actually pretty easy and pretty laid back to sell on there, which is nice. Uh, obviously, 
protect yourself, do whatever you're comfortable with. Anyone could scam you just because they are in the discord doesn't mean necessarily they have your best interests in mind. So do what you feel you need to, to protect yourself. Uh, but overall, I would say we have never had an issue of actual scamming happen. There's never been an actual scam happen from within our discord. So that's good, right? <laughs> Over a year, no scammers, pretty, pretty solid. So anyways, you can also obviously sell on eBay. Um, eBay, I tend to only do my higher end cars because it takes longer to list them, but I will give you this tip. You can oftentimes get more value off eBay. People typically will spend more on eBay. I would just advise to stray away from auctions and make sure you list where people can make a best offer. Uh, but a lot of times you can get more there than you would other places. You just have to factor in the fees. Um, that That's always a factor when selling. You have to remember how much the fees are and go from there. So what I will say is on average, fees will range from 10 to 15% of the total value of what you sell for. Typically there is a flat rate plus a percentage. So that being said, it is very common for people to just take 15% off of a card to sell. So my advice, if you are a new seller, you want to be giving at least 15% off because that is typically what the community will expect. The only exceptions would be high-end cards. High-end cards, you can usually get away with offering 10% off. But if you are trying to sell at face value or you're trying to sell at anything less than 10% off, you will probably get flamed and embarrassed by the community. People do not like that because everyone who has been selling and buying for a little bit knows the game. They know how it works. They know about the fees already. You're not going to pull one over on them. They know about the free shipping that you get from many sellers on TCG player. So don't think that you're coming in with some crazy new strategy where you can sell these cards more than everyone else. Um, be reasonable, be open to offers and yeah, I mean, know your price, you know, don't just let people bully around and start selling cards for 35% off ask. But ultimately, if you do not list your prices somewhat competitively, you're not going to get sales and you're not going to be respected by the community. And ultimately selling in this game has so much to do with your brand. You know, it is really true that your brand matters and whether you know it or not, every time you post online, you are building your own brand and you are changing the way people will perceive you. So you do have to be aware of the way in which you interact with the community. And my advice is if you want the community to respect you and you want a good brand is give that 15% off um, <laughs> when you're listing cards. Typically for me, I always do 15% off for people in the discord. I'm typically 15 to 20% off. And then if you do a lot of business with me or we're doing a big transaction, I'll usually give a little bit more. And then I also do special deals sometimes. Like when battle evolutions dropped, we did 33% off everything. Everything was 33% off. Um, so we do do things like that too, uh, to help people out. But like I said, you have to know your worth. Don't let people bully you around. Don't let them force you to make you feel like you have to give 30% off because that's just not true. Most cards will sell eventually at 15 to 20% off. I, it's very rare that I can't sell a card at that price. Okay, so now that you know where to go to sell, a couple things to keep in mind when you are selling. If this is a private kind of sale, you have to make sure you set 
expectations. You have to make sure you set proper expectations and put your guidelines of the sale. You need to put what payment methods you will accept and how they are accepted. So if you just say PayPal, but you know you only wanted to accept goods and services or you only wanted to accept friends and family, then you need to actually put PayPal goods and services or PayPal friends and family. You need to put specifically what you, the way in which you want to sell. You also should clearly state your rates for shipping. And if there is a certain price people pay where you will give free shipping. For me, I typically in private sales will do free shipping at around 50 to 75 bucks um, on TCG player. It's recommended you do it at 20 bucks. So that's another way that selling privately can actually help you to save a bit so you don't have to just give away free shipping on a $20 order. Um, but yeah, be very specific. And if you do sell PayPal goods and services, you need to protect yourself as a seller. Make sure that you only ship to the address that that person has listed, which we'll get more into common scams and ways to protect yourself later on. I just wanted to be clear, be specific and set proper expectations. Okay, so now that you understand that part of it, let's go into just some general tips. Uh, my first is that it is okay to hold cards if you want to make a play. I really do not think that this is a bad thing. The people who complain about this are probably doing it themselves. What I mean is if you have tested and you're like, okay, um, oh, I'll give you a perfect example. Red U7 Goku, right? Um, Previously, Vegeta Resolve Renewed was a very cheap card. The last I looked, there was one listing left at $6 for the foil. That's a card where right now you could sell it for 6 bucks. But if you know you're not playing Red U7 and you have your play set, there's nothing wrong with waiting a month and a half, letting that price go up, and then actually getting more bang for your buck. People can flame me if they want, say that's bad for the community. Guys, this is an expensive game, okay? This is, this is an expensive game. I will definitely agree this is an expensive game, but it's very accessible if you are smart with buying and selling. You choose when you want to sell your cards that you own. There is nothing wrong with saying, no, I think this card's value is more than what it currently is. I want to wait and see if it hits that. And there will be times when you lose for sure. It's your decision when you want to hold. But if you want to make a play and you want to say, hey, I've got, a playset. Maybe I've got two or three playsets of this card and it's just way undervalued. I'm going to wait and see if it hits this format and if that price goes up and then I'll sell. If you do this every set and you may, maybe it's only 20, 30 bucks each set. Well, if we get four sets a year, that's a box you can buy for free. That's a box of cards you can just buy for free or that's part of a case that now you don't have to pay for. So it's little things like that that add up that if you are smart, and you do it the right way, you can actually make more. Obviously, you won't win every bet you make, but what I do is I have a little deck box that I fill up with plays I want to make, and I'll just put all the cards in there that I think could go up within the next year or so. And once that deck box is full, I'm done making plays. That way I'm not holding on to too many cards and I force myself to sell some. But that's my little trick that I do, and I say, okay, I think this card is really good. It's going in the box. And... I'll let you guys in on a secret. Vegeta foil resolve renews right now are in my box. <laughs> They're in my box waiting to see what happens when Realm of the Gods drops. Uh, okay. 
Second, use all of your avenues. You don't need to just post in one place. If you're posting on Facebook, post it in every single group. There's nothing wrong with that. Just don't post in the auction centers at the same time because your auction is an auction. So that card cannot be listed any other places. But auctions aside, list it everywhere. Listen in the Facebook groups. List it in every Discord server that has buy and sell. Um, list it everywhere you humanly can find a marketplace because ultimately that's going to be the way you find the buyers and Instagram. I'm telling you guys, I know because of my audience is mostly players. A lot of you aren't following Dragon Ball Super Card Game on Instagram. There is a huge market on Instagram. People are buying and selling all the time. Granted, it's collectors and it's more high-end cards, but you can find deals. Literally today, someone in the Discord said they wanted to buy Collector's Selection Volume 1. I literally saw someone selling it for $100 on Instagram. That's a great freaking deal. So I was just like, hey, you should hit up this person on Instagram. But if you are following all the accounts and you get involved in that community, you will start finding deals on cards that you may want. Um, so... Like I said, just use all of your avenues available to you to make sure you are selling when you want to sell. Don't limit your audience. You want to expand it. You want to have the broadest scope possible. All right. Number three, timestamps are the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. I think, okay, let me tell you. I think it is hilarious when people freak out over no timestamp. Do you know how easy it is for me to Photoshop a piece of paper with my name on it and a date? If someone is going to scam you, guys, it is 2022. That is the easiest scam in the world. That timestamp is not protecting you. Now, if you get a video with it, I guess that's a little bit harder to do. It can still be done, but maybe that's a little bit tougher. So I guess I could see that. But a picture with a timestamp is the worst sense of security that you could possibly have to buy a card. I'm telling you right now, you can still 100% get scammed just because there is a timestamp. Terrible, terrible way to prevent getting scammed. And we'll talk about the real ways to prevent that later on, but you have to accept that it is part of the community and how they do selling and just make it a habit to put the silly timestamp in your picture. <laughs> Because if you don't, people will assume you're a bad seller. So make the timestamp, put it in your picture, but just know, just know it is a silly rule and it is a terrible way to assume that a seller is legit and not a scammer. Obviously, I understand it adds a step, but the step is so easily recreated that it really doesn't matter. Really, really doesn't matter. Uh, okay, so number four, uh, if you want to sell mint cards at a premium, you will probably need a strong reputation and the correct audience. People who go on the Facebook groups trying to sell above TCG low because their card is quote unquote mint usually sound like a clown. You're going to get bashed. You're going to get harassed and people will not do business with you understand your audience when you are selling. The Facebook groups are primarily players. There are collectors groups that are smaller that you can find, but the big sell groups are majority players. You have to understand that and know that players do not care if a card is a potential PSA or Beckett 10 candidate. They don't care if the card is a potential black label. 
which it's silly to even say that anyways, but you all will stray away from that topic for the podcast. Now, I will say you can do it. There are collectors who do sell at a premium, but it's because they have a reputation and they know where that audience is. And I'll be honest, it's in the specific collectors groups that you have to find or it's on Instagram. There are collectors that will pay a premium price because they feel that card is a 10. So know your audience, build your reputation as a seller, make sure that you make sure your brand is positive and then you can demand a premium on collectors cards that are mint, but you have to be reasonable and open to offers and understand that you usually will not be able to get more than TCG low. Usually you won't, but there are people out there. There are people out there who will because ultimately a collector buying on TCG player has a much higher chance of getting a card that's more of like a PSA 8 or PSA 9. So if that person trusts you enough to say, hey, I really trust that this person is selling me a card that's a strong 10 candidate, yeah, I'll pay a little bit more so I don't have to waste my time buying all these duds that I now have to flip. Um, all right. So we talked about how TCG player is actually really easy. Uh, but number six, keep clear and open communication. Be very, very open and make sure you are able to respond to your buyers. You will get reported in the scam group if you do not respond to your buyers. So just be very open. You know, if it took you an extra day to ship it, let your buyer know. Uh, it's not the end of the world. Buyers should, for the most part, be understanding if there is a delay. Now, if the delay is like a week, you might have an issue on your hands. Um, but, you know, you just be open, be very clear on what's happening. And yeah, that, those those are my tips for selling singles because it seems like common sense, but you would be surprised how many people do not follow those steps and do not do any of those things. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about etiquette. Uh, I said this for the buyer's part, but just be kind and courteous. No one wants to deal with an asset. Uh, you know, be polite. <laughs> I don't know why that needs to be said, but it does. I don't know. People are just rude for no reason. Uh, number two, respect your time and use the block button. It is 100% proper etiquette to block people who are wasting your time. Now. A person who has paid you money is not someone wasting your time. So don't get that twisted. If it's a buyer, you cannot block them. You need to be able to communicate with them. But I block people all the time. I love blocking people. One of my favorite things to do. People love to waste your time in the groups. They love to hit you up with no intent to buy the card. Please do not do this. Buyers and sellers block these people because no one wants to deal with that. Now, it's one thing if you cannot come to an agreement on price, but it's another when you just hit people up with no no intention of buying the card or just, you know, whatever. If someone's really rude to me, I block them. I don't want to deal with you. If um I'm trying to think um I don't know. It it's you just have to respect your time. And if someone is wasting it because you will get blown up if you start posting more desirable carts. Your inbox is going to get blown up, especially if you start doing a lot of selling. People are going to start proactively hitting you up because they want to get the cards before you even list them. 
So respect your time. If someone is harassing you or for whatever reason, they are just not, they're just, they're just not following etiquette. They're just not being a good buyer. Block them. (laughs) That's it. You do not have to deal with those people. And you know what? If all sellers would band together and do this, the community would be such a better place because none of us would have to deal with them. And all of a sudden they would realize, huh, I don't see many listings anymore. (laughs) So use the block button. It is your friend. Um, and ultimately it's your choice. There's nothing wrong with it. Okay. Number three, unless we are talking an extremely rare item, have a price ready as the seller have know your price. It is, it it is okay to ask for an offer first. That's perfectly fine. But ultimately you are selling the card. Imagine going into a store, like imagine going to Best Buy, right? And like, I don't know, you want to buy a new MacBook. Maybe a MacBook just came out that day and you're like, okay, I want to buy this. And they say, make me an offer. And you're like, uh, just tell me the price. And they say, sorry, make an offer or leave. What? <laughs> like what? You're going to lose the buyer. There's now I'm walking out of Best Buy and I'm driving down the street to Walmart and I'm buying that damn MacBook. So cards are no different. You need to know your price. Now, if you're talking like a world stamped apex leader, then okay, that's totally different because there's not a real price on that, right? They're so limited that you have to kind of get into this, these different negotiations. And that's a whole, 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 whole other story. But if you are a seller for a normal card and I guys, tournament promo winners are normal cards. (laughs) Like there's nothing fancy. They've been around for a long time. We have a good idea of how pricing works for them. When I say exclusive cards, I'm talking like, um, world stamp cards, national winner cards, um, the more rare regional winner cards. I'm talking like those kinds of cards. Everything else, you need to know your price. Otherwise, you will lose your buyer and you are now wasting their time. Remember that time-wasting thing? It's a two-way street. We all as sellers want buyers to respect our time, but we also need to respect buyer's time. So, Stray away from playing games, stray away from forcing them to make an offer first just because you want to make a couple extra bucks. It's fine to say, hey, make me an offer. But ultimately, if they just say, what's your price? Just say, well, I'm looking for this. And that's it. Otherwise, why are you selling? Right? Why did you make the post in the first place? All right. We've already talked about always selling at 10 to 15% minimum. Um, Earlier, I did mention taxes. Um, This, I... You know, I'm definitely no tax professional and I'm not in any position to give anyone tax advice, so I will not, but just know your tax rules and seek out whatever you feel you need to seek out to make sure you make the best decisions for you because taxes are real. Uh, Number six, protect yourself, protect yourself, protect yourself. Use video, use pictures and use buyer confirmations. There are so many transactions gone wrong because there was not clear communication. I all the time. So this is a perfect example, right? Recently, I was purchasing a card. Okay. We had talked a little bit and then we agreed on a price. Before I sent the money, I said, just to confirm, so we're on the same page, I am buying and I listed the full name of the card. I said, I'm buying one of this card at this price. And I'll be sending you the money to this account. And I made that seller confirm that with me 
because I want a clear paper trail. I want to say, okay, here's all my evidence of what was agreed upon. Sometimes I will even snapshot the picture of the card and put it in that message so they know this is the card I am talking about. All that does is further protect yourself. You don't want to leave anything up in the air. You don't want to be ambiguous. You want to be very, very detailed and specific. Now, some people may think you're being a little bit much. Honestly, screw those people. <laughs> like, If they do not understand why that's important, that it should be clear and confirmed, then that's on them. They're not a good seller or they're not a good buyer. But you do what you need to do to make sure you are safe and protected. That includes buyer confirmations. As a seller, confirm with the buyer. You are paying me this. I will be sending you this. Like, just, just be very, very specific. Take pictures. If I am just selling a normal card, typically I just send a pic and there's tracking. I typically just send a picture of the package because th there's tracking, right? Like we already know what will happen. <laughs> there, there's really not a, too much of a deal to take many other pictures. Now, if it's a higher end card, I will send a full video. I will send a full video. I video myself from the start. I will show the card. I will show myself packaging the card. And the entire time in frame, you will always be able to see that card and you'll, it will never leave frame. Once the card goes in my packaging, I will already have taped down the tracking to that package and I will show in the video that it is taped without that package ever leaving the frame either. That is very important to do to protect yourself on big sales because anyone and I shouldn't even say this because now someone's going to get scammed, but anyone can get a package, open it up very carefully, take out what's inside, put in some random shit, and then reseal it and videotape themselves opening and say, what the hell, bro, you scammed me. And they're probably going to win when they go to PayPal and they put in that claim. So protect yourself, take your own video, make sure the video, you can see the packaging and everything. Sometimes too, and I'll always usually ask my buyer, say, hey, would you like a video of the packaging and make sure it's up to your approval? That does two things. One, it makes them confident that you're legit and it makes them feel safe. And maybe they do have a critique on your packaging. I don't know. It's never happened to me, but hey, we'll talk about packaging shortly. <laughs> um, but two, it also shows them that you're doing everything in your power to not get scammed and that will reduce the chances of you actually getting scammed because they know you're covering your tracks. All right. So that being said, you know, video, pictures, buyer confirmations, just all important things to do to protect yourself. And also if it was not a goods and services deal and they just type their address, make them confirm it. This just goes back to buyer confirmations, but make them confirm the address you're sending to. Take the picture and say, is this address correct? If they say yes, you're good to go. But make sure, because I have had times where they send me the address and then they're like, oh shoot, I, I misspelled it. Or, oh shoot, that's the wrong address. And I'm like, I already sent it. So, and we'll actually talk about how that can lead to getting scammed as well later on. But that's a, a really good tip as far as confirmations go. All right, next tip. Plain white envelope will lead to a bad time it will lead to a bad time. I hate sending things plain white envelope because of how bad USPS is. Things get lost all the time, all the time. I especially hate doing it in Discord because I feel obligated 
to provide people a refund if they ask, but I technically should not. Listen here, everyone. No seller should ever give a refund for a lost package of plain white envelope. Here's why. If you're a good seller, you should be offering tracking. If the buyer decides to take plain white envelope as a seller, you should specifically state this is at your own risk. If the package is lost, I will not provide a refund. And that's it. <laughs> if the buyer wants to take that risk, that is on them. And honestly, it's so cheap for tracking. Tracking should only cost you about between three and four dollars. A couple extra bucks. Come on, everybody. Buyers, start paying for tracking. It makes everything easier. And when that package gets lost as a buyer, you're, I already know, you're going to, doesn't matter who, you're going to go to the seller, you're going to request a refund, and now there's drama. <laughs> so, plain white envelope leads to a bad time. A lot of sellers have stopped doing plain white envelope. I will still offer it because on some cheaper cards, it really doesn't make sense to pay for tracking if you're selling you know, three fifty cent cards. I get it. No one really wants to pay for tracking on that. Just understand as the buyer, you are assuming the risk and seller sellers make that clear, make that clear because then when the buyer does want to complain, all you got to do is show them the screenshot, say, Hey, look, you already agreed to this. This is all on you now. So if you set the stage, you set proper expectations and you did what you needed to do, there shouldn't be any issue. It's the same thing. It's, it's literally like, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I literally feel like I'm back in my old supervisor role at work and <laughs> pitching to people how to talk on the phone. It's really the same thing for anything you do when you're working with a customer, setting proper expectations and getting the buyer's confirmation that they agree to the guidelines and expectations you've set is everything. <laughs> if you do that and communication is clear, there technically should never be an issue. Okay. I think you all understand my stance on plain white envelope. So let's go on to how to properly package items. This is probably going to be my favorite part of this episode because I am so passionate about packaging cards. And I know that sounds really dumb, but there are so many bad methods used out there from reputable sellers. It literally blows my freaking mind, blows my mind. All right. So I'm going to break it down as simple as I can on an audio podcast. I'm probably going to make an accompanying video where I show how I package cards. I'm not saying my way is the best way. I'm certain there are better ways out there, but this way is definitely 100% safe and acceptable. And that's what matters. I'm sure you can definitely go overboard and go above and beyond from what I do. I feel I already go a little bit above and beyond. But ultimately what matters is that the you are making sure you remove any variables. You're making sure you do everything you can so that no damage can happen to the card during transit. All right, so let's talk about how I package cards. So one, if the card is an expensive card, so I would say if the card is anything like over 20, 30 bucks, that card should have its own singular top loader. It should not be combined with other cards. Now, if you're selling a bunch of $1 cards, collectors, I know you're not going to want to hear this. I'm sorry. 
all those cards are going in the same sleeve and in the same um, shipping shield or top loader. That's just the way it is. I'm not wasting money on multiple top loaders for some 50 cent for a bunch of 50 cent cards. It's not going to happen. They're going to be together in the same sleeve. If you don't like that, I am sorry, but it's not cost efficient for us sellers to individually put each card in a top loader. But here's what I do. I will put the cards in a sleeve. If it is between one and four cards, I will use a normal dragon shield style sleeve. If it is more than four cards between four and 10, I will use a penny sleeve. If it is more than 10 cards, I break it up into multiple penny sleeves. Okay. So that's step one, sleeve the cards. And if it's an expensive card, individually sleeve the cards and not put multiple cards in the same sleeve. It's just a courtesy as a seller. You can decide what your threshold is as a seller to where you are going to individually sleeve the card. All right. Step two, if it is only one card, I will put it in a single top loader. If it is two cards, I will still try to put it in a single top loader, but understand top loaders are different widths. Do not force the card into a top loader. Because if you force it, you can damage it while putting it in because you have to push too hard or your nail could chip it. And the buyer could damage it in attempting to get it out. Okay. So two, it depends. Three, I usually do not unless I have an oversized top loaders. There are top loaders that are wider than your average top loader. Those can fit sometimes up to, uh, the real thick ones can fit like 10 cards sometimes. Um, so just know what kind of top loader you're using, but the point I'm trying to make here is do not force it into the top loader. Okay. Now, typically what I do though, is I use shipping shields, which shipping shield is not a sponsor of the podcast, but they have a phenomenal product and it is cheaper than a top loader, way cheaper than a top loader. It's fully, it's like a full cardboard sleeve. It is tough and durable. I will typically use this for up to four cards. And what I do is if it is four cards in a sleeve that go inside the shipping shield, I put a little post-it note pull tab on the back of the sleeve so the buyer has no issue pulling it out. They can just pull it out from the tab. Now that might be a little bit extra, but that is something I do since I am putting a lot of cards in a single shipping shield. Uh, I, I saw some complaints about people not liking multiple cards in the shipping shield. So I thought, how can I combat this? Because it's definitely not cost efficient to use multiple of them. And um, they're also a little bit wider than a top loader. So now you got to make sure they fit and it's just kind of a big mess. So I was like, okay, how do I get around this? And the answer is I put a little pool tab on the back. Okay, so if you are using that method, the cards are sleeved between one and four cards. They go inside the shipping shield and the shipping shield has a little flap. Do not tuck the flap in. I will be honest. I have made this mistake. So I understand others making it. You don't think it's a big deal until you actually have to open one. Once you open one, you realize how much of a pain in the neck it is. And as you're trying to get it out, it can potentially damage the cards with shipping shields, fold the flap and tape it down. Yes. Use your fraction of a penny's cost worth of tape and tape down the flap. Okay. <laughs> Once you've done that, the cards should be perfectly fine. You can ship them away. Now, 
If there are more than four cards, I typically will not use a shipping shield because oftentimes it is too hard to get out. So if it is too tight of a fit, I'll put them in a penny sleeve and I make a top loader sandwich. A top loader sandwich is a top loader on each side with the cards perfectly centered. But here's where it gets tricky. You have to tape it, but you cannot let any piece of tape be able to have any chance of touching the cards. You also do not want to allow any side of the card to slide out of your top loader sandwich where it could get damaged. Here's how you do it. You tape around the corners of the top loader. So you use four pieces of tape, tape your top loader sandwich together by going to each corner. So you go around the side, all four corners, tape it that way. The card cannot shift at an angle outside of your sandwich. Then I put tape on the bottom where there's no open end. And then I will either use a small penny sleeve or I will use just a little piece of paper and fold it over the open end of your sandwich where the cards could slide out. Do not use tape on the open end of your sandwich. <laughs> okay. Do not use tape there because if the cards start sliding out of their sleeve and touch the tape, they can stick to the tape and now that card is likely damaged. This has happened to me. I do not know why sellers are still putting tape in places where the card could slide out and touch the tape. It is the dumbest thing in the world. Do not be that seller. Okay. When you tape, use a little piece of paper, tiny little strip of paper. Fold it over the top and then tape that paper to the flat surface front and back of your top loaders. Now the tape will not touch the card. Vice versa, you could use a little penny sleeve, put that over top. What I like about the penny sleeve is it's smooth. It's not a rough surface like paper. So that way, like some people say if the card slides out and touches the paper, it could technically scratch or scuff the edge a little bit, which that is 100% true. Very, very rare that that could happen and definitely better than it touching tape. Um, so what I usually do is I just use my best common sense. If it's a more expensive card, if it's more expensive order, I'll use a penny sleeve. If it's a less expensive order, I use a piece of paper, you know, but just use your common sense and make sure you are giving the right quality and putting enough attention when your buyers are spending that premium dollar or just do the best every time, but you know, you also have to make sure you're smart and cost effective because shipping supplies can get expensive if you are doing mass selling like I do. Um, I mean, since the summer, I've probably had 3000 transactions. That's a lot of cards going out. So <laughs> things like cost of tape, cost of paper, cost of sleeves, cost of top loaders, cost of shipping shields all adds up. So you have to do these things the smart way. That's why I'm telling you how now. And then the last thing I do is when I do tape the top loader sandwich together, I make little tabs with the tape. So I fold the very end of it just a little bit. That way you can easily pull the tape off. Listen, there's nothing worse than having stubborn tape and you have to dig your nail into the tape to try and get it off. And then you're scared you're going to damage the card or you have to get scissors, but I'm ignorant and refuse to use scissors most of the time. So <laughs> if you're like me, you've been in that situation where you've dug your nail into the top loader, trying to get the tape off. And then after you do it, you're like, Oh shit, did I mess up the card? Did I push too hard? You know? So 
to av- try to avoid that every now and then I might forget, but I try to remember to make a little tab on the end of the tape. So that way buyers, when they open their package can easily peel the tape off and have no worry that they could, you know, push too hard on the top loader and damage the card. Okay, so ultimately we have six areas. We are sealing the top loader sandwich, all four corners, the top and the bottom. Tape is fine for bottom and the sides, but on the top you want to use some kind of material so that way no tape is actually touching the open end. I know that was a lot. I hope I explained it well enough that you understand. (laughs) Like I said, I will try to do a video to help so you can visualize this as well. Um, And then if you have one of those big orders where it's like 20 cards, Uh, What I do is I'll use two penny sleeves. I'll put 10 cards in one penny sleeve, 10 cards in another, and then I will tape the sides of the penny sleeves together so the cards are compact, and then I just do the same thing. I just make my top loader sandwich. Now, if you have like a huge, huge order, you may want to consider doing what I call the triple decker. Yep, triple decker, where you do a three-way top loader sandwich. So let's say it's 40 cards. You'll make four packages of penny sleeves, right? So 10 cards in each penny sleeve. So you have four penny sleeves filled. I'll make my sandwich of two. So I've got my top loader sandwich. And then I'll put two more on top of the top top loader and use a third top loader on top. And then I'll do the same process. So I technically have three top loaders. And that just helps to add some rigidity to the cards and make sure that they do not get damaged. All right. And then if you are selling... Um, so that was more for players. Collectors don't typically order cards in this bracket where I do any of this because oftentimes collectors are buying the, the higher end cards like SCRs um, and just collectibles, signatures, um, winners that are more popular. So let's talk about how my packaging differs for those high end sales. So usually what I will do is if it's just a raw card, I'll put it in a sleeve. I'll put it on the sleeve. I always use a pull tab. Um, That's one thing you can always do, guys, is the pull tabs really are a nice thing you can do to offer customer service. They're really cheap, and they just stick on the card. It's like a little Post-it note. And sellers or buyers, when they get their packages, easily pull it out. So if it is a high-end card, I always put a pull tab just to up my service a little bit. Uh, But yeah, so I will use a top loader and a sleeve. So card goes in the sleeve, pull tab in the top loader. And then I usually will take two more top loaders and tape them around the front and back just to give it a little more hard support. And then I will seal it. So by sealing it, if you have those little, um, I don't know what to call them. Like they're the little plastic sealable. Uh, it's like a little, almost like a baggie. I'm sure you've seen that cards come in it. It's just a little piece of plastic that's slightly bigger than the top loader. You can slide it in there and then seal it shut. Um, those are really nice to use. I know not everyone has access to those, Honestly, it's the same exact thing if you just use a penny sleeve and just like I said before, fold the penny sleeve over top and then tape that penny sleeve down to the front and back of the top loaders. It's the same thing, creates the same seal and it's a little more accessible, one less product that you have to buy as a seller. Uh, Once I do that, sometimes if it's like a real high-end card, I'm talking like three, dollars $400, I may also use a little bit of bubble wrap and put that bubble wrap around it, and then it is always going in a, a padded envelope. It's always going in a padded envelope. So, you know, for the real high-end stuff that is a raw card, I'll do top loader and sleeve, two top loaders around them, all taped together, and then 
and make sure you do the thing with the tape with the little pull tabs. And obviously we're not letting any tape touch the card. And then the, um, the bubble wrap over top and then that inside a padded envelope. I think that as a buyer, if you're spending $400 on a card, you deserve at least all of that. If you want to do more, you absolutely can. Um, sometimes if I'm a little worried or I just want a little bit more, I will double envelope it. So I'll use a smaller padded envelope inside of a bigger one. Okay. And now collectors, let's talk about sending off your slabs, your, your graded cards. Okay. So here's what I do for these. Each graded card I will put in a plastic sleeve. They make sleeves that will fit them that are real tight. So I'll put the graded slab inside of a plastic sleeve. And then I put bubble wrap or foam around that. I actually have come to really like the foam. That was a recommendation of my friend Sierv Collects. Uh, the foam is just really nice for using on those graded slabs. So if you, you can go to Walmart and buy a big roll of it, uh, just packing foam, and uh, it works really well. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, uh, whatever, the bubble wrap, that's also fine to use. But anyways, you want to wrap it in some kind of soft surface and you want that wrapping to be very tight and you don't, I don't let any tape could even touch the slab. Um, I only put tape around the foam or the, the bubble. So once you've got it wrapped up, I'll take two pieces of stiff cardboard on either side and I make my sandwich just like the top loader sandwich. I'm making a cardboard sandwich. So stiff cardboard on either side. And then I make sure it's real secure. Now I use tape. Uh, my buddy, Chris, he actually uses rubber bands and swears by the rubber bands. So you don't have to use tape. Um, either is fine. I think I do like the rubber bands a little bit more. I just don't have them at my disposal usually. So I typically just use tape still, which is still perfectly fine. Uh, once you do that, if you want to even be more extra, you can do bubble wrap around all of that. But oftentimes I'm fine at that point. Once I've sufficiently wrapped it up and taped it down with cardboard, at that point, I will put it inside of a bubble mailer. I will seal that bubble mailer and put it inside of a second bubble mailer every time. And when I put it inside of that second bubble mailer, I will typically literally tape it down to that bubble mailer so it can't move. When cards get shipped, movement can create vibrations that can cause slight the card to just slightly move inside the package and it can cause damage. Obviously very rare and unlikely with all the precautions we're taking but we're already doing all this. Why not just do the last thing and just kind of tape it down inside some to really prevent any movement while it is in transit. Uh, once I do that, I'm usually good to go at that point. I will send it off. If you are sending multiple, you can use all the same practices, but just put it inside of a box. Um, you can also stack them once you make your cardboard sandwich and foam wrap them all together. Uh, but I never put two slabs next to each other. Like I will never tape two together. They always get their own individual wrap and then cardboard backing on each side just to make sure that they are safe. Um, and then once I do, like I said, if I do need more room, I'll use a box. You just want to be extra careful when you use a box. So you have some kind of packing paper or packing bubble wrap or something that you can shove in there to again, keep the item secure in the box. So that way it doesn't move. And you also want to make sure the box has enough material in there just in case anything happened to that box you want to really surround your package with whatever you're packing it with to prevent any potential damage if that if a corner or something got pushed in a little bit on the box 
Okay, and then speaking of grading, if you are sending cards off to get graded, you can essentially do the same thing. What I do is I put the card in a penny sleeve with a pool tab, but I will use card savers. Anytime I am packaging cards sent off to get graded, I do use a card saver, and they are really what you should be using to protect your collectible cards. Um, I, I just feel that they are the best way to do so. But you can essentially do the same. And um, really all I do is cardboard on either side and make sure it's real tight, nice good cardboard sandwich, and then I just layer my package. So it'll be cardboard sandwich with sleeved card inside of a card saver, and then I'll just keep stacking it up. You know, another card, another piece of cardboard, another card, another piece of cardboard, wrap it up with foam and bubble wrap, and then stick it in. Um, and then all the same practices apply when you are sending off your box. Uh, okay. And that should be everything for that part of it. As far as your plain white envelope, I do try to make sure it is not just a card. I wrap it in a piece of paper for two reasons. One, plain white envelopes can sometimes be see-through. If people see a card, they may steal it. I have only ever had this happen once, but someone, and maybe this person lied to me and scammed me. I don't know, but they claim the package was tampered with and someone had opened it and taken the card out. Um, I believe them and gave them a refund They're They've bought for me before, so I don't think they had a reason to lie. Um, but regardless, that is a scam. So I do try to make sure that a piece of paper is wrapped around so that way it can't be seen through. It also makes the plain white envelope a little bit stiffer, which is nice so that plain white envelope stays in a little bit better shape throughout the transit. Um, but I just, when I package the card inside the top loader, um, the top loader or the top loader sandwich, or the or the uh, the shipping shield, whatever that is. Um, that's all I have the card in, and then I just pop it in there and seal it. One thing you should always do on your plain white envelopes, though, is tape it down. Tape down your plain white envelope. That way, it cannot come open. I have had packages come to me where literally the envelope is open and the card miraculously stayed inside, but you don't want that to happen to your buyers. Tape it down. Take that extra step. Use your pennies worth of tape. <laughs> and what I do is I'd usually just tape the outside edges of it. So I'll tape the two sides and then I wrap it around to the front of the envelope. So it has a nice secure tape on there. Sometimes I do the same for my padded envelopes. Just depends on how well that seal is. And honestly, if it's an expensive order, I, I usually just tape it down anyways, just because I'm paranoid. Uh, <laughs> but not as necessary, but I think it's still a good practice to keep. Okay, but the biggest things you should get out of this are do not put tape on the card. Always use some kind of reinforcement where the card has a firm front and back, okay? Always, whether it's a top loader, a shipping shield, two pieces of cardboard, that's the cheapest way if you don't have these materials. Get a cereal box, cut it up, and use the front, you know, cut it up into two oversized rectangles and use that as your makeshift um, top loader. Where you can tape both sides. One thing that I do on really cheap sales, like someone buys an 80 cent card from me, I really don't want to waste the money of shipping that in a top loader or shipping shield because when I sell that on TCG player, guys, you are already basically barely breaking even, making maybe a little bit more, um, which is a tip. Never put anything on TCG player lower than 70 cents because at that point you are basically selling for free or for a loss. Um, I forget what the math came out to. I just decided my number was 70 cents. Um, and actually I've recently increased that to 80 cents just because the 70 cent really stopped being worth it. So at this point, I don't sell any card for less than 80 cents on TCG player. Anyways, 
if it is a very cheap card like that, someone just buys one 80 cent card from you. What I do is I will not put the card in a top loader or shipping shield. I put it in a sleeve and I'll just put a back to the card. Um, typically a very thin piece of cardboard. Um, Core TCG has those little uh, envelope things they use that I actually really like for sales like that you can get. I don't know what they're called or I'd tell you. Um, and then what I do is I stick one of my business cards in the front and that's my front protection on the card. I'm going to be real with you all though. If you get a card where it didn't have front protection and just had a backing and all you bought was an 80 cent card, guys, you get what you pay for, you know, sellers aren't trying, aren't out here to lose money. That's not what we're doing. So you get what you pay for. If you want a little bit better packaging, throw some other cards in the order and you will probably get it. Uh, that being said, if the order is over a dollar and you do not have front and back packaging, that is a bad thing. Again, I get around that with just sliding a business card inside the sleeve in front and that acts as cardboard in front of the card. Again, I only do that for very cheap orders, but regardless, if you ever get a card in the mail where it doesn't have that and you did pay a dollar or more, it, you will have the right to complain about it. Um, that's all I'll say on that. But yeah, I would say that's, that's all of my packaging practices. So hopefully that is somewhat helpful for you. Um, please, please, please don't put tape where the card can touch. And I would love it if everyone started folding the side of their tape to make it easier to pull off. Cause I hate peeling that tape off. Sometimes it's really frustrating. So especially if the tape, cause sometimes with the method I just talked about, the card will be in a sleeve taped to a piece of cardboard but the tape is on the sleeve. So now you have to dig your nail onto the sleeve and that's just a no, no. So yeah, please use those little tabs. Take, take the extra second to just fold a tiny piece of that tape over. So that way you can just pull it off easy. Okay. Um, I think I've got everything for packaging. Let's talk a little bit about postage. Um, so as far as paying for postage, if you're using a plain white envelope, it is in your best interest to get a scale. I will give you a life hack. Sign up for stamps.com. They usually have a promotion going where they give you a free scale. That promotion isn't going. Just wait a little bit. It regularly comes back. It doesn't cost any money. It's a free trial for stamps.com. Get your scale and then you can cancel. <laughs> that I literally did that. Um, I actually intended to use stamps.com. And then once I worked everything out, I didn't actually like the service as much as I thought I would. And I did have some of concerns of my own. So I decided to go a different route, but get your free scale. Uh, <laughs> you can get a free scale from them. And then when you have a plain white envelope, just weigh your packages. If you are using a stamp, um, anything under one ounce is covered by one stamp. However, you need to use non-machinable stamps. That way the card does not go through the machine and potentially get bent. Um, using normal forever stamps, you risk that card getting damaged in transit to the buyer. The only time I will use a normal forever stamp is on those 80 cent orders. Again, I'm just not in the business of losing money. I'm going to save as much as I can on those pesky little orders and using a forever stamp helps. Um, but weigh them. Most of your packages will likely be under one ounce. Some will go over if they have bought more than four cards. But in my experience, four cards or less is always under that ounce. You only need one non-machinable stamp on there. Uh, and that's pretty much it. If you have an order where you need more, don't waste money using a second full stamp. Buy some additional ounce stamps. They're way cheaper and 
there's very, very rare you'd ever send a plain white envelope package where it's more than two ounces. I don't think I ever have. Maybe once <laughs> out of 3,000. <laughs> so yeah, get your additional ounce stamps. They are very helpful. And then for doing tracking, use PayPal. PayPal typically will give you the best price. Uh, you can put in all the requirements you want and use whatever shipping service that you would like to use. I typically um, use first class because it's cheapest. And when I do first class, I just switch it to a package slash envelope and I will automatically default all of mine to four ounces because the price is the same between two and four ounces. It's always the same. And your package is typically on a tracked package. It's always going to be about at least two or three ounces. So I just put four and then it's typically always good. I do still weigh them just in case it has to, it is over four, but honestly, we're talking like 20 card plus orders are the ones that have a chance at going more than four ounces. Typically it needs to be even more than that or some kind of special item, like a metal card that you're sending. Uh, but yeah, if you do it that way, your shipping on tracking will typically cost you between three and $4. That's why I always charge four. I hope that it'll only be three fifty, and then the 50 cents covers the materials that I used. Speaking of materials, uh, play my envelopes. I have yet to find just one singular place that always has the best deal. I will look around. The last time I bought play my envelopes, the best deal was on some promo Target was running, and I bought a ton of boxes of play my envelopes. I always use the ones that have the self adhesive, so you can just pull the little strip off and, and just stack it, slap it down. I hate licking it and. We actually tried using a sponge one time and then I was like getting water through the envelopes. So I didn't have to lick it and then it was just ruining the envelopes and I gave up on that. So use the self-adhesive. It's so much easier. You just slap it down and then I just use a little piece of tape over top and it works like a charm. Uh, but yeah, so envelopes, just get, I get the six and three quarter inch envelopes. They're small and good fit for the cards. And then when it comes to padded envelopes, typically Amazon in my experience has the best prices. Just look up padded envelopes. There's a million different options. You can choose the one you like. Um, the ones with the little, you'll, you'll know what I mean when you search them, the ones with the little bubbles on them that have that more slick kind of feel on either side. I do not like those for shipping cards. I find that they don't seal as well as I would like the cheap ones at least. Um, so it's a slightly more expensive, but I do use the ones that are, it's like the craft, like that orangish uh, color and the more uh, the flat paper like material. Those are the ones I use and just, you always want to make sure they're padded on the inside. Uh, but yeah, typically you can buy a big package of them for a lot cheaper than you would if you just like went to Walmart and bought a single one. So Amazon has been my best source for that. Obviously just look around though. If there's special discounts running most stores, Walmart, Target, um, department stores, things like that. Uh, a lot, a lot of them will sell shipping supplies, dollar stores, another good one you can check. Um, and just, just find wherever has the best price where you are. Other than that tape, I also buy on Amazon. Um, I'll, what I have is I have a tape dispenser and then I just buy a big pack of scotch tape. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it's the green one. <laughs> Look for the green one. That is the best tape. I tried to cheap out on tape once to save a few cents and I literally hated myself. It was the worst tape I've ever used. I said, I'm never not using scotch tape again. Uh, so my advice, don't put yourself through that misery of getting bad tape. It sounds so stupid, but I'm telling you, oh my God, I literally still have two rolls of this shitty tape I bought a long time ago. 
that are my backup emergency rolls if I run out of my scotch. But I, for me, no advertisement here. Scotch, way to go. It is the way to go. And Amazon sells a big pack where you can buy a bunch of rolls of the green box ones. I just buy a big pack of them, just swap them out in my dispenser every time I run out. Uh, and then lastly, the foam, I, so I'm sure I could find this cheaper because I don't do as much business selling slabs. I typically just drive out to Walmart when I run out and buy a roll, but I'm sure there's better ways to save on that. I would check Amazon, you know, same thing. Just, just check what you can. And then, um, yeah, if you're doing a ton of transactions, a paper cutter is really helpful. So if you have a, a nice paper cutter, we can just slide all of your orders in and cut them down to size. That works really well. When I sell on TCG player, I print out my order slip and then I cut it down and then fold it. Uh, I usually use scissors just because I don't, I haven't felt like buying a, a paper cutter, but I do think about it every time because my fiance has one that she has at school that she brings home for the summer because she's a teacher and, uh, oh, summers are nice. So <laughs> summers are real nice. So, uh, yeah, that's something that, that you may want to invest into if you're doing a lot of sales. All right, so I think that's everything packaging related. I'm trying to think if I missed anything, but I don't think so. Um, obviously, use sufficient tape. When I tape my tracking labels down, I tape every all the entirety of the border, so there's no chance I could get ripped. You don't want that to happen. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, oh, my last tip is if it's a real big order and it's real expensive and you cannot use first class, a lot of times um, UPS ground is going to be cheaper than USPS priority if you're sending a full package. So check the rates. PayPal, it's really, really easy to check the rates through PayPal shipping and just use whatever the, whatever the cheapest one is. Okay, Whew, we made it. <laughs> We made it. That is everything that I have to share about packaging. So <laughs> hopefully that part was helpful. That was what I was most excited for to talk about on this episode. Uh, but moving on to my next tip uh, in regards to etiquette, stand behind what you do. Stand behind what you do. If it's a small transaction and there's something gone wrong, don't make the buyer jump through hoops and hurdles just to fix something. Look, I get it. People can scam you and tell you the wrong thing. It's okay to ask for a picture or something. I'm going to be real with everybody as a seller. If it's a $2 transaction and they say something's wrong, I just refund them. I probably shouldn't say that because now everyone's going to ask me for a refund and I'm going to bite my tongue. But honestly, it doesn't happen as often as you'd think. And if there was a true issue and I believe them, I just give it to them. I don't make them jump through a bunch of hurdles. And I think that helps you to build a positive brand. I'm not saying you have to do it. And there's nothing wrong with even just asking for a quick picture. Um, but I actually, this literally reminds me, I had an issue with a seller on TCG player. He shipped, did not follow my packaging advice, shipped me an SPR Piccolo Unison and the packaging was horrid. Absolutely terrible. I should blast him, but for some reason I feel wrong blasting sellers on TCG player as a seller myself now. Um, if it's egregious enough, I just report them to the company at this point. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to like slander anybody or be accused of that. So I feel weird about it. But this packaging was so bad and the card literally slipped out of the sleeve and damaged the corner. The corner got bent. It's like, you got to be freaking kidding me. It's like a $70 order. And uh, so I was mad. And, I, you know, I, I said, look, you know, 
you package these very poorly. One of the cards got bent, I, you know, I, I could have asked for a refund on everything because your packaging was not sufficient to TCG player guidelines, but just this one card got slightly bent. It wasn't that bad, but you listed them as near mint and you packaged them in a way where they, it, it's impossible for them to make it as near mint. And I forgot till now he asked me to send a picture and I literally never got around to it. And now I probably won't because now it's been a few weeks and I feel like a buffoon coming in now. You probably think I'm, I'm trying to scam him. So I'll probably just let it go. But look, just stand behind what you do. If you shipped it poorly, that dude knows he shipped it like crap. He should have just gave me a partial refund. Look, if I hope you're listening because you know what you did. <laughs> you know what you did. and I hope you stop. Uh, you, like that kind of stuff is a disgrace to sellers for real. Um, if you know you packaged a card insufficiently and there is an issue with the packaging, I, I'm just giving the refund. Now, if I know I packaged it well and they're complaining about the quality, I may have some questions. Um, but again, it really just depends if we're talking a $200 card. Yeah. You, you prove your case to me because I packaged that card beautifully and immaculately and there's nothing happened to it. Um, but if we're talking like a $2 order, my reputation and brand is worth more than a bad review because a bad review can just completely ruin your reputation. Uh, making buyers go through herps, hoops and hurdles to do that can result in bad reviews. So you also have to keep that in mind and just what level of service do you want to provide? You know, what level of service do you want to provide? And that is entirely up to you. I'm just letting you know how I kind of operate as a seller. Okay. So going next, uh, travel for large transactions. We all just saw the big debacle that so sadly, uh, Markle, our third place and, uh, national champion of 2019 or 2018. Was that the first? I don't know. Whenever he won that's, um, he sold his big winner card and it got lost in the mail. Uh, thankfully it was found. Thank God. Otherwise I wouldn't even bring it up just because I don't want to pour salt in the wound, but thank God it got found. I'm very happy for you, my friend. Um, and it, it is safe and sound back in his hands. That being said, it is worth it to just travel on a very, very big deal. If you are selling a, like a BGS 10 Awaken Power, you should fly to the person. That might sound crazy, but if you're getting, I don't know, five grand, six grand, seven grand, uh, yeah, I'll spend the 200 bucks and go travel in person. And you know what? If you travel in person, you can also ask for cash because if you ask for cash, then you're also securing that, okay, this is legit and nothing can go wrong with like a PayPal claim or anything like that. Because I mean, people have wild scams when you're talking about that much money. So flying to the person, traveling to them, definitely the best route. Um, and obviously you're gonna have to pick a threshold for me. It's around two or three grand. Once I'm there, I'm like, I'm just going to travel to you. <laughs> we can meet up at like a Walmart or something. I don't know. Some public area. Don't go to their house. Uh, don't go to some private desolate place, you know, bring a friend maybe with you. If you got a friend that'll travel with you, but yeah, meet them in a public area. Hell meet, <laughs> meet them at the airport, you know, <laughs> have a, have a two, you know, round trip, same day travel in the morning, meet, meet them outside the airport, walk back in and hop back on your next plane. Um, but yeah, traveling for them is, is the way to do it. Uh, then lastly, protect yourself and don't fall for common scams. There's so, so many scams on, I'll be honest with you guys. Buyers are going to hear this and, and think I'm just trying to stick up for sellers because I sell. I've known this since before I started selling a lot. 
Sellers are more at risk to scams than buyers. 100%. There are so many different scams that people can use to get their money back, especially if you're using PayPal goods and services. There are many ways to manipulate those claims and get PayPal to be on your side as the buyer, especially since they're naturally already going to be on the buyer's side. But here's a few. Uh, one, when you get a payment through goods and services, only send to the address listed in PayPal. I don't give a damn where they said to send the card to. I don't care if they said it's a present and you're going to ruin their 12-year-old's birthday if you send it to the address on goods and services. I don't give a rat's ass. That card is going to the address you put on PayPal. If you don't want it going there, here's your refund. Have a good day. I'm probably not going to do business with you because I've been scammed. <laughs> this was one of the only scams I've ever fallen for. Someone told me to send this package to this address that was different than what they listed on PayPal, but I had already sent the card. And I said, look, I don't know what to do. And he said, well, can you do like a cancel and return to sender and then send it again? I said, sure. If you want to pay for the return to sender, he pays for the return to sender and card never comes back. I don't know what happened, but he definitely tried to scam me. He files a PayPal claim, gets his full, it was a hundred plus dollar order, gets his money back, says I didn't send it to the right address. And then I canceled. Um, and then I said to return it to sender. <laughs> it's like, you gotta be shitting me. Uh, he got banned from every single group, thankfully, but that is a common scam. Only send to the address on goods and services. Two, partial payments. Do not accept partial payments. Do not accept down payments to hold a card. And definitely do not send the card if it's not paid in full. Just don't do it. Now, if you're talking about someone you personally know, it's a completely different thing. Work out whatever you want with your friends. If you trust them, good for you. I'm talking about just in the marketplace, buyer-seller relationship. You pay me full and then I send card. <laughs> very, very simple. Uh, and that's it. Do not accept partial payments and Sunday cards. Please do not send a card on a partial payment expecting to get the rest later. You will not. You will not. Uh, three, no video and claim of damage. Look, you have to take videos of yourselves packaging these cards that they're worth money. You got to do it. You got to do it. People will make a claim, say the card is damaged or they received the wrong card and they can win that claim. I already told you know how easy it is to just copy that tracking label, print it to a new envelope and seal it with a different card in there or a damaged card. If you do not have a video, they will win. If you send a card to someone on TCG player and don't have any way to prove your case, they can literally just keep a card, the same card. Let's say awaken power. Okay. Here's a way to get unlimited free awaken powers. Everybody get one, bend that shit, bend it in half, chew on it. I don't care what you do. Ruin that card. Okay. Order an Awaken Power, then file a claim and say, hey, I got this bent card. You'll get a new Near Mint Awaken Power, and then TCG Player will side with you because you'll send them a picture of this bent one. And they'll say, oh, there's no way. Why would you bend your own card? You bent your own card because you're trying to scam 20 other people to get 20 for free. Um, but listen, you can prevent that and just videotape it. Pictures and video will prevent that scam from happening to you. That's why I said it's so, so, so important to document everything you do when you are doing these transactions. But those are three of the more common ones I've seen. There are others, but you know, I could go on. This podcast already is um, 
we're getting we're approaching the two hour mark so i'll cut it there as far as scams go but fact of the matter is if you do everything we've talked about you are preventing almost any scam from ever happening to you okay and ultimately if it does not feel right or your spidey senses are tingling and you're like something's off here just don't sell your card to that person i've literally done that before I was talking to a person and the way they were messaging me, they could have been completely legit. I didn't feel comfortable. And I just said, uh, sorry, card sold. And that's it. So there's nothing wrong with that. Literally nothing wrong with that. What? And you know what? If you, do, if you feel awkward telling them that, just stop responding, sell the card. And then once you sell the card, you can tell them that. Uh, but if something doesn't feel right, a lot of times your gut is right. Follow your gut. Don't do anything that you are not comfortable doing. Okay. And then just some miscellaneous tips here, everybody. Um, block everyone that's confirmed in the trade complaints group. That's a given. Um, the Dragon Ball Super Trade Complaints is a great group. Um, Cam, who I mentioned earlier in this episode, helps moderate it. Uh, it's a great job at finding out who the scammers are. Also, pay attention to the people who report people. Because if they're a buyer and they're making claims that either aren't true or are ridiculous or unjustified, I block the people who try to report others sometimes. Because as a seller, you do not want to sell to a buyer who is just going to make a, a, just a, a false claim against you and potentially ruin your reputation when you did nothing wrong. So I, I do that all the time, all the time. I'll, sometimes I'll block both people. I'll look at their messages I sent and I'm like, these people are idiots. I'm blocking both of them. <laughs> Like, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Ultimately, you want to do everything. This is the internet. You don't know these people. It doesn't matter how nice they are or friendly they are, even if you talk to them all the time. If you've only known them on the internet, that's all they are. And you cannot get that confused or mixed up because people will take advantage of you. Um, that being said, don't get pressured into anything. Uh, one thing I learned when I was doing more work for my previous company and helping determine fraud uh, is when people are overly aggressive and really pushy or just unpleasant, a lot of times it's because they have another agenda and they are trying to scam you. So if someone is trying to pressure you, do not get pressured on anything. You do not have to do anything you do not want to do. Um, you know, never wait on someone or hold cards for anyone. Um, most times you'll just get frustrated and they will flake. This is a problem in my local area. My local's listening. This is you. I'm sorry if I'm calling you out, but <laughs> you shouldn't feel offended because if it's, if you don't do this and if you do this, then I hope you do feel offended and you stop. <laughs> uh, but there's nothing worse than someone hitting you up for a card. You post it. This happens more in person because you have to wait to give them to give the card to them in person. Sometimes they want to pay in cash. So you say, yep, it's Monday. Locals is on Sunday. Say, sure, no problem. I'll bring it Sunday. You show up and they say, oh, I don't want that card anymore. Well, now six days have passed. The value's probably gone down. You missed out on other potential sales. They really screwed you over. And that sucks. Do not hold cards. Make them pay now or keep trying to sell it. And that's it. If you don't like it, sucks for you. <laughs> Uh, but that is how you make sure you do not lose money and you continue to get the sales you need to make. All right. Next, if you've already given a good price, you can stand by it. You do not have to come down. There's this, for some reason, expectation 
that some buyers have that whatever your list price is, they can get you down off of it. There's plenty of times where I just say, no, I had one guy who just wanted me to come down a dollar and I was insulted that he wanted me to do it. He acted like he was insulted. I wouldn't come down. I said, dude, I'm already 25% off. I don't need to come down at all. This is a great price. He said, it's only a dollar. I said, exactly. So you can pay that extra dollar. <laughs> uh, but if you have a good price, stand by it. You do not have to come down. Now, if your price sucks, then maybe you need to reevaluate where you put it at. That being said, don't be a penny pincher. You know, if you're only 15% off and they want an extra buck off, just give it to them. Make the sale, make the buyer happy. You both win and he still sold it for a good price. And then last, make sure you enjoy it. Don't make this a job. Um, don't make this something that you don't enjoy and is so time consuming that you don't enjoy it. Uh, because ultimately, most of us are selling just to fuel our own hobby. So, you know, make some sales here and there and do whatever you feel comfortable doing and do whatever you have fun doing. You know, I personally, I like selling a lot because I know I have good prices and I enjoy knowing that I can help my community get cards that they need. And I love opening a ton of product. So being able to sell lets me accomplish that goal of buying more product because I know I'll reimburse myself when I sell these cards off. Obviously, it's risky, but I'm going to take the risk because I truly do enjoy it. So just make sure that you enjoy it too. And if you don't, then you just need to figure out a plan that works for you where you can still feasibly enter the game, buy and sell enough that you aren't just going so negative every single time, you know, unless you're rich, then hey, good for you. Um, okay. That is essentially all of my tips for selling. I know this has been a really, really long episode, but there was a lot that I wanted to go over and get into. I know a lot of these or last two episodes may have sounded like common sense, but it is shocking how many people just do not follow these simple rules, simple guidelines, and simple etiquette. And Hey, maybe you learned a thing or two that you didn't know before that I talked about that just came from my own experiences. Uh, but yeah, let me know if you all have additional tips for people that are getting into the game and selling. Obviously, the more we come together as a community and share, um, just the better off our marketplace will be and the more pleasant it will be to interact with others. But my biggest thing is just be kind, be civil, and show some respect. You know, if someone's price is their price and you don't like it, just keep moving along and just be willing to work with people. Be willing to work with people and just have good communications because the relationships that you can build, there are advantages from those relationships, everybody, you know, like you'll get to a point then when you need a card and you've had a lot of positive experiences and you put publicly, you need this card. Well, those people are going to look out for you now because you looked out for them. Um, I've definitely noticed that when you're in the right communities like the hermit style discord, or when you're in on the Instagram community and with, um, you know, like top son Goku was on the podcast before in that community, we all look out for each other as long as we know that you're looking out for us too. Um, so if there's anything for you to take away from that, it's that, and please stop putting tape on the damn openings of your packages. The love of God, don't do that. Okay. I'm done. Let's keep moving. Results of training. All right. I'm going to blow through this just because this podcast is going on so long. Got to give a shout out to ProMats, the best mats in the game. You can check them out, ProMats-Customs.com to get the absolute best quality custom play mats. Uh, Hermit style cloth play mats are coming. I I promise they're coming. I, pro I promise. I 
I will stop giving excuses and just apologize and say they're coming soon. <laughs> but Promats, check them out. Again, promats-customs.com. Okay, uh, as far as rules of training go, honestly, the results don't matter because now we have the ban list. So I'm going to put a ton of time into testing. We have some team testing scheduled for tonight that I'm really excited about. Uh, Red U7 looks great. Uh, Vigex seems to be in a bit of a better spot. Icarus, unplayable now. Um, so we'll be likely testing Zamasu and Vegeta and Trunks. Um, I th honestly, Hatchak probably still fine. I'm just tired of the deck. I don't want to play it. Blue Baby took a hit just because of the best of one pre-side. I will be testing that more to see how that affects the deck. Uh, I think SS4 Vegeta gets a boost. And yeah, we're going to... And Soul Striker has a boost. Also, the blue-red version is becoming more known. That was the cross-world special that went to Nats. Didn't do as well then, but seems to be now emerging. So yeah, there's there's a lot of different decks tests out. Golden Frieza is another deck to look into. So just giving you all ideas of some decks that maybe you want to consider for the next competitive season. Uh, that's kind of how I'll structure this results of training so that way it's quick. But yeah, th those are the decks I'm personally interested in. And then Gogeta Zeno, obviously, with the hit. How does it function? And is there another premier black aggro deck? I'll let you guys in on a big tip now. Uh, the new Poutine snapped. That card is very, very good. And I'll leave it at that. Let's see what Monaco's got for us. I got a special order on a pallet of sweets for Jocko. Wait, aren't you Monaco? Monaco's delivery service. Monaco's delivery service. Okay, I will hit one question and I will pick this one from a Patreon supporter. If you're not already in the Hermistyle Patreon, you got to jump in there. We post so much amazing content in there. We did a live stream that was fantastic with myself, John Carlo, and Zach last month. Um, and I did the first ever Patreon exclusive podcast that I was planning to do a 30 minute one. And it turned out an hour and a half. Uh, <laughs> you can look at the time for this one. And I guess that's not too surprising for me, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's been really fun dropping tons of knowledge. And I give you guys a little bit more of the inside on what we're testing more competitively that we don't really want to put out in the public to respect everyone else's wishes. Uh, but I give a little bit more of that in the Patreon. So if you want to get in on that kind of info, that's a little bit more behind closed doors, uh, you know, jump in. And if you just wanted a way to support the podcast, it does help me to keep giving the level of quality content I can provide. As I mentioned on uh, episode a few months back, I am now doing this full time. So I, I have two jobs now, technically, I say quote unquote jobs. I really enjoy both. I don't even like using that word, uh, but I run a custom wood carving business and I run hermit style. Those, those are my two sole sources of income. Um, but I am finding ways to increase uh, my scope of business. And if I can't do that soon, I will likely have to go back to the old nine to five. And then it uh, makes it pretty hard to continue doing things at the level that we've been doing lately. So, you know, if you want to support what we're doing and you like, you know, all the different cool events we've been doing and the extra content we've been able to provide, you know, consider throwing some support. Uh, we have a role as low as only $3 and it is solely there for you to just show some support. And for only $2 more, you get access to a ton of competitive articles, including complete play guides, which I now have 
a, I think it's, there's like a 6,000 word article up there for FigX or something. Um, so they're, they're very detailed and in-depth and kind of give you all the knowledge you need to play the decks. Uh, so we have FigX and Hatch up now. The next one I'll be doing is Blue Baby and the list that I would be running for Blue Baby next format. So excited to do that this month. Definitely check it out. Hermit Style Patreon link is in the description. Let's pick a question from a patron. Let's see here. Um, only one question today, so it won't be a joke question. Let's see. Okay, it's Shadow Reaper 1. He said, what old archetype or deck would you want Bandai to bring, um, to redo or bring support? Uh, old archetype. Come on, guys. You already know. World Martial Arts Tournament. Bring it back. Give me WMAT 2. I need I need all of it, but give me Oob. Give me that blue WMAT archetype. I want it aggressive. I want it fast. Show me something fun. I want some combos or cards or playing other cards. Uh, come on. Come on. Like Goku Oob, a little power crep now. Three is a lot of energy. Give me something better. Bring it back. I need Oob. Give me Oob. Uh, bring it back. The deck used to be so sick and is just no longer relevant. I tried really hard last format to bring it back and I failed. The deck just, it's just not good enough. Not being able to draw when you attack a unison sucks. Give me better leaders, revamp it and make it stronger. I would be so, so, so excited. Uh, all right. Well, that is it, everybody. I will give a shout out to, to Leonard. Um, he is, Hey, it's Leon in the discord. He is one of my Patreon subscribers and also a good friend of mine that I met here locally. Sadly, he moved away, but just wanted to give you a shout out for supporting the show. Uh, it does mean a lot, my friend and, um, show him some love. He runs a Twitch channel. Hey, it's Leon. So you can check him out there. But anyways, it's been a blast. Next episode, next episode, I will have Linda Kim on to talk about her collection, how she got in Dragon Ball and everything in between. I am super pumped. She is one of the only female content creators out there and one of the only female serious collectors that I know. So really excited to have her on. So make sure you show her some support and love. And until then, I will talk to you next time. Back every day, I got the shit. Best way to try whatever.